Welcome to episode 50 of the All Digital Additive Manufacturing Podcast. This episode originally aired as a video on the All Digital AM YouTube channel. Well, hello everyone. My name is Maddie Frank, and I'm really excited today to be interviewing Anouk Wipperish, who's a Dutch fashion tech designer that's been working to change the way we interact with garments since 2007. Her many works have been featured by Audi, Cirque du Soleil, and even worn by Fergie in the 2011 Super Bowl halftime show. Anouk focuses on the behavioral aspects of the interactions of body-based electronic design and continues to push boundaries of what we understand to be fashion today. I am so pleased to welcome her on the All Digital Additive Manufacturing Podcast and to learn more about the woman behind such revolutionary ideas. So Anouk, thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for hosting me. Definitely, of course. So I was doing a little bit of research on you before this interview, and I learned that you grew up in Beemster, Netherlands, which is a small town best known for its cheese. And automatically, I was really excited because I grew up in Wisconsin, which is best known for its cheese as well. Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering, you know, how did growing up in this small town agricultural environment help or hinder your early interest in STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, for those of you that don't know that, and fashion tech? Yeah, I think it's known for cheese. It's also the first place in the Netherlands that they created from uh, reclaimed land. So in the Netherlands, there was until the 14th century, a big part of Holland, so North Holland and Southern Holland. It was water. Um, they started to make lands uh, from there, so reclaiming it. And they did that by the use of windmills in the 14th century. Really? So there's actually a lot of like, I would call it like water engineers in my area. Mm-hmm. So people that are busy with restricting water and like uh, work on those uh, those things. So I think like one of the first and the earliest sort of mechanic things that I grew up was uh, was sort of the, the Archimedes uh, screw of the windmills because mm-hmm. the windmills basically uh, screwed up the water, but they also were there to grind any grains, uh, mustard seeds and all of that stuff. So the, the machines were the, the windmills were like machines and they were sort of almost multi-purpose because they were there to, to drain out the water, to control the water levels sort of, and also to produce our food almost, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a really small, yeah, it's a really small city, but it has kind of an interesting sort of heritage uh, from that notion. And then later on, I went to Amsterdam, which is like the big city close by. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Netherlands uh, <laughs> it by itself is really small, you know, it's smaller than New York, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's definitely uh, interesting, like traveling the world now. <laughs> Definitely. So you kind of were always surrounded by this concept of technology interacting with nature, interacting with other aspects other than just like, you know, pure hard STEM was always surrounding you. Yeah, definitely. Like the mechanics of that. And then from the digital angle, my uh, dad, um, he got one of the first Olifetti computers when I was, I think, Mm -hmm. maybe six or seven or something so then i already knew more about the mechanics of stuff sort of but also like the digital notion of working with computers that uh, until now of course we all use sort of you know but that was definitely in the 80s and 90s it was uh yeah coming up as, as this new thing sort of yeah. so did you spend a lot of time on that computer then when you were younger was that like your first introduction into technology I guess we had it for work, but we ended up like just playing with it. <laughs> like, yeah. Doing like playing with well, yeah, some of the first, I, I think it was the Olifetti M52 or something. Like, yeah, I was mm-hmm. playing like uh, sort of the box games in the early uh, games uh, on there, which I thought was always fun, sort of, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, he had it for work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
I know like at least when my dad goes for his computer for work when I was young, you know, back in the early 2000s, we definitely uploaded some computer games on there. And that was my first introduction into like electrical engineering. And I have an EE background myself. So, you know, I totally get, you know, playing with these little instruments when you're younger and then leading into your profession as you grow up. So it's yeah. really interesting how that <laughs> happened. Yeah. And so I also read that when you first started to get interested in fashion and technology, you used to watch hours of video clips of fashion shows and studying how people express themselves through their clothing. So can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what pulled you in as a youngster into fashion and why did you seek out different fashion shows to look at when you were young and through the internet? I think it was not necessarily like fashion shows, but in the 90s, we had Mm -hmm. uh, things like MTV coming from America. And um, I think it was more like uh, yeah, clips of uh, people doing their thing, but also Mm -hmm. expressing them through in that time of the like streetwear and their their own things like predicted by the fashion industry came up. And I thought that was Mm -hmm. really funny that people just in the 80s and the 90s really started to express themselves instead of listening to what fashion is uh, sort of predicted Mm -hmm. to wear. So yeah, definitely uh, MTV and, and those like sort of early 90s clips uh, when you see them back now it's funny because it's really pixelated and yeah <laughs> are different quality so you're like well we came for sure far. but it definitely has a cool flair to it uh, but I think yeah the way that different people and different cultures express themselves in uh, like uh, yeah, media forms like clips and all of that stuff uh, definitely triggered my yeah sort of interest in getting into fashion which I did when I was 14 years old mm-hmm. because I thought it was really interesting that yeah people could express themselves through it yeah that was definitely uh, fun I think like when I was uh, studying fashion design it was a couture tailoring I got pretty good at like constructing garments and all of that stuff but then I realized that actually what I was creating was uh, cool it can express yourself sort of but it was analog because it was yeah not doing anything basically if I'm happy and I put a flower dress on in the morning uh, in the Mm. evening I might not be happy anymore but I'm still wearing the same piece of garment sort of you know Mm. so when I was 17 years old I got into robotics because going back from my interest in these mechanic notions and then uh, yeah computers robotics and all of that stuff for me like robotics and robots had uh, sort of the heartbeats and the brains mm-hmm. in order for things to yeah be moving, uh, to be talking, to be smart, to be intelligent almost. And then I started to combine those two things together, uh, which resulted in uh, yeah sort of the creations that I make now. Yeah. Like wearable robotics and using a lot of sensors on the body sort of. For sure. I mean, you were pretty young in your teenage years that you started to meld together the art of fashion and robotics and you expressed mm-hmm. your interest in robotics. What was the first soiree or the first project that you did that combined the two? I'm very curious about the early years of your yeah, um, yeah, I think you meant 2007, but actually I was already yeah. making this stuff in like 2002, I think. Really? Okay, cool. Yeah, and that's, um, I think it was beginning mm-hmm. to 2000s, I'm from 85. In that time we had like, again, like big computers, you know, what that's what we just spoke about. Mm-hmm. We had bigger computers that were, yeah, hard to compute things over. So things look nice from the front almost. But you turned around and there was a <laughs> big machine yeah. in your body, sort of, you know, so it, it looked very elegant from the from the front, sort of, but it was hosting a lot of that stuff on the, on the back of my design sort of which mm-hmm. was not super elegant so I think like it changed a lot when around like 2005 2006 like companies started to understand that people want small computer boards that might be more easily to program you know so one of mm-hmm. those guys is or one of those companies is uh, Arduino from Italy they started to come in with these boards sort of uh, these little platforms that people mm-hmm. could uh, use in simplified version of C++ in their own sort of Arduino language and I think that made a lot of things much more accessible 
and much easier and also much smaller, you know, because uh, we don't, we didn't need at all that intelligence of these big computer boards. And then also other people came in. This is, for example, like one that, that I would have been using in 2012. That's in uh, Teensy. You know, so a lot of people started to understand that not only we wanted to use uh, these boards for stationary uh, things like computers, you know, in big rooms, uh, we also want to put them on the body like uh, me or in, in, of course, robotics and all of that stuff. So I think a lot of that, yeah, early development of that happened in 2005, 2006 uh, in that time, which was really good for us because we were able to work with like smaller pieces of technology, basically. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And so I understand that you actually studied under David Cretelli, one of the original creators of Audrino. Is this true? Yeah, I got kicked out of my art school. I was studying fashion design and I was busy with coding and technology. And they were like, what, Anouk, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, I tried to combine this. And they said like, well, this is not the future. It's funny because now my exact same school is class in fashion tech and they invited me to that. Uh, so that's kind of... Uh, <laughs> Anything. Yeah, uh, that's ironic. Like, okay. okay. They were like, yeah, sorry, we were wrong. But mm -hmm. yeah, at the time that I got, uh, yeah, sort of kicked out, I was a little bit like I had nowhere to go, sort of. And so I was studying at another school in the Netherlands, uh, sort of um, following evening classes. I, I went to hackerspaces. There were not so many hacker, uh, makerspaces in like 2006, 2007 yet. And then also I heard about uh, David Kuartelis that uh, they were doing like uh, some courses at Malmö University in Sweden. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I basically got kicked out and I was <laughs> on the street. And I was like, okay, let me yeah, go to Sweden. And actually, I went to Sweden, uh, learned more about like Arduino and platforms that they were busy with. And I went back to my school and graduated under fashion and technology. So the same school. So yeah, didn't allow me to do that. Give me one second. My dog is yeah, of course. <laughs> Maybe she's a little puppy. <laughs> oh, how cute. <laughs> Hello. Oh, what's your name? Uh, Lumi. There's a truck outside that's in the trigger there. Yeah. So you were talking about, though, how you got kicked out of fashion design school. So you actually got kicked out of fashion design school. That's a little bit hard. They asked me to, well, hey, is it uh, maybe yeah. more interesting for you to do a technological, uh, like um, uh, go to a, de a technological department, mm -hmm. uh, which I tried, but they didn't have anything to do with the body, right? So it's, mm -hmm. it, it was uh, hard because there was not a discipline that was super hybrid, yet it was an art school. So I, I was in hope that I could find that uh, a little bit there but mm -hmm. uh, yeah in the end they were totally cool they were just um i think the main thing that and i'm i'm in really good um communication in a good relationship with them i think mm -hmm. the main thing there was is that it was my fault like i tried to get more knowledge on technology on coding and all of that stuff and that was all i was doing because i just needed to get a grip of uh yeah how to work with these new pieces of software and all of that stuff you know so mm -hmm. i might have been like less focused on the fashion aspects which of course they want you to do and more focused on the technology and deep diving into yeah computer languages and all of that stuff yeah. in order to do my thing in the end they gave me the allowance i went to um, sweden for one half year which uh, was part of like also David Quartelis doing cool things with Arduino and the platform there. Then I came back and um, graduated with an, uh, a pretty experimental project, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, it was what later became like the smoke dress and, and, uh, okay. some, and some of the other designs. So uh, That's really, really interesting then. So I would, I'd like to like, kind of like, you know, jump in, kind of expand on that year and a half that you spent in Sweden with David. Mm -hmm. So you were working more with Arduino, but did you know, you're still kind of in like a technology space. Did that allow you to still pursue your passion of fashion at the same time? Or were you then solidly within, you know, more of the hacker community? 
I think it was interesting because there were, uh, was the first time that I experienced people coming from different disciplines together other than uh, only artists, only fashion mm-hmm. designers, only technologists sort of, you know. So it was kind of funny because they just said like, hey, we're working with this platform. Who wants to join? And so I read about it in a paper, I think, uh, or something mm-hmm. like that. That's uh, they were doing that. And that attracted me to go there basically, you know, because I was also in the in the same time with, uh, with my school, just trying to figure out how and what. I think like, yeah, having people coming from different backgrounds, like from like hardcore engineering to mm-hmm. person was yeah busy with textiles. I came from the notion of uh, wanting to also yeah combine it with fashion. Other people came from just just really different disciplines, sort of you know. And we were all there working on that uh, yeah same platform board, which uh, creates really different projects, right? Uh, so that's kind of the interesting yeah thing about that. I might have connected to like robotics or textiles. Somebody else uh, connected mm-hmm. it to food or to more uh, like uh, things of a biosense or uh, like. And I think that that created just a really fun like playground and platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that was a really fun, uh, yeah, and just a fun thing that happened back then. That's great. That's really interesting. So you basically had all these different people from different spots. Do you feel as though kind of that cross, that transfer of cross disciplinary knowledge has played a lot in your now craft that you practice? Oh yeah, definitely. But uh, even before that, but uh, before that, there was not necessarily a crowd or a crew that uh, it, it was always the artist or the designer or the technologist, sort of not more. I think now we have a lot more people that are more hybrids of uh, multiple things, you know, and mm-hmm. I personally love that because I love to be able to, for example, in the morning I, I stand up, I start to design, work with my computer, work with computer software. I get bored uh, of that after a few hours. I go to my sewing machine uh, to test some uh, like new kind of yeah fabrics or uh, mm-hmm. code systems. Um, uh, between fabrics and electronics or something like that then I can solder I can start my 3D printer or my laser cutter or whatever I want to do so it's kind of nice to be working like that because Mm -hmm. you are working with uh, different uh, like yeah multiple disciplines and in in a really hybrid form so like hands on there's always something to do that uh, that you yeah keep yourself busy with while designing sort of you know it's not the whole time coding it's not the whole time being busy with like mechanical properties or something like that so I think that's really the fun thing about it and then you also have to compare complexities of working with the body it's not a product uh, mm-hmm. design which is just a casing sort of you know the body is very organic and, and there's a lot of movement almost like design challenges I think that mm-hmm. you're working with as well so I think that's yeah it just makes it a really fun field at least for me <laughs> for sure definitely and so you've bounced around across the world from the Netherlands to Sweden and now Miami so I've read that you're very inspired by at least in Miami, Saha Hadid, who has a really interesting building in your area. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, <laughs> what's your inspiration from Saha? And beyond that, though, like, how's your location and the surrounding culture influenced your work over the years? Yeah, I think uh, Saha was a really powerful, yeah, lady, especially one being one of the, re- yeah, one of the first female architects that really broke ground, sort of coming from, I think, Iranis. She had an uh, Iranese heritage. Mm-hmm. So I think like a lot of both like the girl power, but also the um, sort of the really organic style that she brought is just really interesting. You can see that in yeah, all the projects that uh, are still happening by the, the studio of uh, Saha Hadid, uh, led by uh, people like uh, Patrick Schumacher, because mm-hmm. Uh, Saha herself, she uh, she passed away a few years ago, so she's not uh, with us anymore. But uh, yeah, definitely like the more organic uh, style of architecture that looks more at uh, biomimicry, how things are yeah being designed uh, by nature, in nature, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, just really interesting and um, also calculating for like structural properties of how that can actually exist. How can you create a building that can uh, withstand uh, earthquakes while being uh, this really sci-fi organic thing? Because there's a lot of like yeah, architecture 
architects that create buildings before Saha, but uh, you could not really build them. And I think Saha was really pushing the notion of like the design challenges, but also mm-hmm. uh, like making yeah it's a safe building to be in almost. She has one or the studio has one of the buildings here. Other things are being created all over the world from airports to a really big range of uh, projects. So the listeners, if you don't know her, like look her up. And uh, I think like Miami has a lot of like, um, yeah, both uh, architecture as design uh, in the city. And then we're mm-hmm. also, say, two hours away from Orlando, which has a lot of entertainment parks and makers, uh, which mm-hmm. is really fun. And then you also have the Space Coast, which has a lot of like the space engineers, NASA. Uh, currently, we have a lot like SpaceX and uh, all of that stuff going on. So it's kind of an interesting area to be in right now. I think like Florida in the past was more a little bit where you go to retire. <laughs> but the last like, yeah. like 10, yeah, five to 10 years, it, it uh, spikes up to be a little bit more yeah, people coming in for architecture or the maker scene or uh, the space industry, of course, which did a big uh, big thing here as well. So you definitely need to find your uh, your nook sort of. Um, I came from California was the first place that, uh, that I moved to in 2012. And that was Los Angeles, which was just boom for me, you know, uh, other than being in uh, yeah, the Netherlands and Vienna and in Sweden, like in LA, everything was possible. So that was kind of cool. I think LA was really nice, especially in 2012 in that time to be in. But projects were really fast. They need to, de- to be really fast and sometimes as cheap as possible. And that's fine. But there was not too much the notion of uh, going in depth with things, you know, if and when things are connected to the body, what do they do? And often in LA, they just wanted them to do something, you know, an effect. But uh, there was not really the notion of thinking about how the body could react to that. So in 2014, I went to San Francisco and I've, I spent a few years there. And there was a much more interest in, I think, like the connection between the body and the design and the sensors as well, sort of, you know. So I could really mm-hmm. deep dive into those things and also collaborate with a lot of uh, yeah, companies that I still collaborate with nowadays, sort of, on some of these uh, concepts. So mm-hmm. I think like every city has something, you know, and that's kind of the cool thing about uh, yeah, being in the USA, from entertainment industry in Los Angeles to Silicon Valley to uh, Miami with architecture and design to yeah, New York with, uh, with all the sort of tech race there. So yeah, it's definitely uh, cool. And I don't think that might have given me the same opportunities if I would have stayed in the Netherlands, you know, I was pretty much an, an outcast there by doing things. And people were like, why are you doing that? And, and how mm-hmm. can you do this? And all of that stuff. And in America, definitely there was that space because it was a little bit more about uh, thinking to the future in, instead of thinking in uh, like recent times that you are sort of, you know. So uh, yeah, sort of that, that futuristic, like forward thinking was uh, was a lot here. So yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, that's how I ended up here from a village of 9,000 people into... <laughs> Yeah. Miami. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I got a question about that. So, I mean, I grew up in the United States where, you, mm-hmm. again, we have this perception that anything's possible. If you put your mind to it, you can learn anything. Mm-hmm. Whereas some of my friends that I know that are from Europe say that the culture is much more conservative when it comes to things like entrepreneurship or thinking mm-hmm. ahead to the future. But I do know that there is a push to kind of change that. So why do you think this culture is so prevalent in the EU and not necessarily in the United States. And is there anything that, you know, some schools like your former fashion school can do to really help propel this, this mind space of what do you want to do and just do it yeah, forward? I think, um, yeah, I think in the US, it's kind of funny. In the Netherlands, you would, uh, or in Europe overall, you would get uh, grants if you're an artist, you know, or a designer or in a certain field. In America, you don't really have that. You might have work with grants uh, in bigger things. So a lot of people actually work for demand, sort of, you know, uh, they might not uh, decide to uh, to build up their own studio or work as a freelancer because it's a little bit harder to do from insurance to just possibilities to, and all of that stuff. 
stuff. So there's a lot more like collaborations maybe between brands and artists possible here than artists that are really working autonomous, if I say it <laughs> correctly, yeah. uh, Lee, which happens a lot in the Netherlands. Like um, the artist there is, is pretty autonomous, uh, working on just these these crazy ideas without having sort of really for the purpose of research, you know, and that's that's maybe not really uh, being stimulated in, in America so much. So I think that's a big thing. A lot of what's really interesting is that a lot of companies and brands step in in order to uh, like uh, work in, in the beginning, like work with uh, technology and uh, and designers and now work with technology and art, for example, you know, art uh, plays a bigger, uh, more and more a bigger role in America, especially the last five years, I would say, because of things like South by Southwest, uh, CES and all of that stuff. People mm-hmm. don't only want to sell a product, they want to yeah, sell an experience, of course, as well. And this is often where artists, for example, can help out. So that's kind of an interesting thing in the USA, sort of, you know. So yeah, definitely, I think Europe and uh, other parts of the world might have much more autonomous projects because there's uh, like there's there's funding to do so sort of you know but the other hand like yeah america is is a really big country and the netherlands fits in new york i think (laughs) so it has challenges and problems uh, themselves as well of course Uh, so that's really really cool and you know i just kind of want to understand you know taking the conversation a little bit in a different direction about a lot of your designs if we're going kind of more into your dresses including spire dress smoke dress and synapse dress Mm -hmm. all of these designs deal with proximity and personal space of the wearer and i just want to understand why do so many of your or designs deal and explore personal space? Because I think personal space is very primal to who we are and mm-hmm. uh, where some people have the privilege to have the allowance to design or to develop their own rules on their own personal spaces. Not everybody has that. Different cultures might not. Uh, there's uh, places in the world that, that people don't even have an um, appropriate living space that they are mm-hmm. crammed together, you know. So I think personal space is just very primal to who we are. And one of my projects is a spider dress you see behind me. It's a dress with mechanic legs and it has proximity sensors that measures up to 25 feet, sorry, 8 meters. And when somebody steps in the personal space, the legs are attacking, the legs are like moving out sort of. It reacts to different people in a different way. So when you walk up very fast, very close by, it reacts much more aggressively than when you walk towards it on a more appropriate distance. So I think I think personal space is also something that we need to take in consideration at all times uh, by the spaces that we build and the privacy that we give people therefore you know and I think like especially for spider dress that is the notion of designing something that can act on you sometimes somebody's stepping too much in your your personal space and you might not want to say it like hey you're too close by because that break that's breaking the conversation a little bit right especially like some of my friends even you know it's, it's kind of a funny thing they might come very close by and in Netherlands you do that a little bit faster so I step back sort of you know mm-hmm. I was just wondering like hey if I design a system that acts upon this from a technological sense then I don't have to give the blame to anything personal happening to between my, me and my friends sort of you know so that's mm-hmm. a little bit the notion of the, the spider dress it's a device or it's a system on the body that basically tells somebody else that you're coming too close that is not personal that's not emotionally bound to that person it's just mm-hmm. you're coming too close right now and I thought that was just an interesting thing to play with with that notion then I got a lot of 
like sort of fans, people that were really writing me letters, like what that meant for them, especially mm -hmm. girls, you know, uh, or people that are like, oh my God, I'm in the subway in New York. I need that thing. I have a girl that I got in contact with through Georgia uh, Tech and uh, she's uh, she lost her vision. She only has 5% of her vision and she would love to have something to just have this notion of she can feel things around, but she can also sense things around her sort of, you know. So mm -hmm. I think especially the spider rest got a lot of feedback from that notion and especially from girls it says something about yeah the way we we and others uh, use like personal space sort of you know and yeah it's it's just something that i think that you always need to think of by yourself on, on elegant ways if you're an architect uh, or like just a person sort mm -hmm. of communicating with another person you know so i think it's it's just important from a lot of proportions and then also from the notion that that we all have these spaces around us our intimate space our, our personal space our social space and our public space right and that has a direct correlation to yeah sort of the fashion that we can have that can respond to to these situations so my designs they react to the environments around us mm -hmm. and then also to our bodies ourselves to maybe stress levels like uh, synapse to respiration so the way we use our lungs to heart rate and hrv so the heart rate and the heart volume they can react to brain signals eg eda like a galvanic skin response so the ph levels Mm -hmm. uh, EMG muscle uh, muscle contractions so there's a lot of like interesting sensors that we can use on our body in order to like uh, to use as an input output situation so you can use it as a button almost you know to set something off and especially that's kind of how I use it while creating these designs it's sort of the input might be the body or the surroundings and the output is sort of the, the expressive notion that you see whether that is uh, smoke robotics or what you can see yeah, around the body in my designs. That's wonderful. That's really interesting. And you mentioned how in your designs, not only just the input output, but like the spider dress, obviously it's always worn by women and it's resonated very much with women. So why do you think that women resonate more with your fashion, whether or not they have to do with things like, you know, stress levels or pH bounces of the skin or even proximity of other people? Yeah, I think that's my own fault because I should make more things for boys. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, the spider dress actually caught a lot of like reactions from boys like, hey, still like everybody's always saying like, when are you making one for a male or for a boy or something like that? Mm -hmm. I think my problem is always, I was working on a product for Audi as well. And it was also like a, all for female. They asked me also to create something for a boy as well. I think like I project a lot of like very masculine things uh, on the female body, uh, mm -hmm. like uh, the big shoulders of the spider dress or like, uh, because yeah, working with uh, robotics and also the expression that it has has almost, if you call it this way a more masculine approach like big shoulders or certain things so the problem is if i do that to a boy they get even more masculine right if mm -hmm. they are already like have shoulders they get bigger shoulders and that's not really interesting so then i want to make it more female and i make it too female because it might be too like too floral and i haven't really found a really good balance between that sort of you know between this this notion of uh yeah and uh, it might be also like uh, i i've always been taught in like women's wear and um, from my first study on you decide basically in a big in the in the past you decided between women's wear or, or men wear sort of you know and i chose uh, women wear and that's what i've been doing all along and i mm -hmm. think for me it's being a female myself is giving that notion of like almost an armor on yourself that's uh yeah that's i'm really after but i guess like for yeah the spider dress the spider suits for men i still need to make sort of you know and that might be a black design and it might not uh, have a different shape and all of that stuff but uh yeah it's definitely something that is more my own uh, <laughs> my own thing that i have I haven't just done that before.
before sort of i think the other thing is like uh, i have a lot of people that work for superhero movies for marvel and all of that stuff and uh when i talk to my friends there at the big studios it's always like guys you always make for men especially like 10 years ago you know it's always the superheroes are all spider-man mm-hmm. all the marvel comics are men and i think i came really in there from making almost these superhero ideas that are really walking out in real life not only on the uh, on the screen that were only female sort of you know so i mm-hmm. think there's a lot of of the role models that are like superheroes have been for a long time like male based sort of like have been boys and men sort of and i think the last like five years more things get pushed like wonder woman and all of those characters sort of but long time yeah that hasn't really been the case sort of so i think the notion of using all these this cool design on female instead of on male is also like for me just interest to push that more Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a social commentary where your design's featuring those large shoulders and almost like an armored chest plate, especially on the spider dress I'm looking in the background right now. It's almost building the woman up to, you know, interact with more of a male dominated world. Yeah, I would not necessarily. Yeah, maybe I guess if you put robotics on the body, you easily mm-hmm. get that sort of. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, I, 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 it's definitely yeah, coming from a uh, female perspective. I don't think that it's really like to negotiate that. I think I just really speak uh, or I build these designs from a more female perspective. Mm-hmm. If you look at the, the smoke dress, for example, it's much more elegant. It's a more pear-shaped design. It has uh, bare shoulders and it's it uh, has like hips almost. Mm-hmm. So if you see that design, it's very elegant. It it doesn't have that uh, sharp uh, V-shape yeah. like the spider dress has, for example. So I do play with sort of the elegance and um, almost if you have sometimes the spider dress and the smoke dress are um, together in an exhibition, for example, and then you definitely see more the feminine design versus the masculine sort of in where I say the the big uh, shoulder pieces. Or I think I do like to play with both, but uh, yeah, definitely the notion of like yeah how can we extend ourselves beyond our current possibilities of knowing more about ourselves about our body signals about yeah the worlds around us mm-hmm. through pieces that we wear almost Definitely. And I think you mentioned a really interesting point, which is a good segue into one of the next topics I wanted to speak on. You mentioned, you know, understanding the body signals and learning more about ourselves. And I think one of the most interesting projects that you did was the Agent Unicorn project, where you're basically putting a a horn that has, it's a brain sensor. Am I getting that right? Okay. A brain sensor that records the attention of children and then also has a camera on top, which will capture exactly what these children are looking at that captures their interest because if they have ADD, it's easier for them to kind of learn what their triggers are to make them more productive. And someone that has ADD myself is like, oh, where was this like my entire childhood, my entire life? And I thought it was also very interesting that this was, you know, one of the first projects that you did or one one of the most, you know, poppy projects that I've seen that doesn't deal necessarily with women, like full-on grown Mm -hmm. women, more specifically in children. So could you tell us a little bit more about the inspiration of the project, Agent Unicorn Project, and maybe a little bit of the background that we might not necessarily know about it? Yeah, I think you can see here two of the the prototypes uh, behind me in the window. So I think it came from the the synapse dress that you named before. It was measuring the stress levels of the person. It has a little camera in the front. It was recording what happens in front of uh, the person wearing it. And it had proximity sensors to see who is in space. And it was also measuring the body signals. And I think that was an interesting like uh, concept I did it for Intel at the Intel Developer Conference in 2014. But because it was only worn by like a female size 36, it, it was not really 
lady and a device sort of, you know. So I was doing an artist in residency at Ars Electronica and they really pushed me into like making a device rather than a dress. So I was just thinking this can be like a good opportunity. And I was also working with uh, RealSense uh, cameras from Intel at that time. The product actually started really different because I was doing research uh, with the the hospital in uh, in Linz to uh, children with autism. So children that might have Asperger or uh, a little bit problems dealing with like, uh, yeah, sort of the, the, the surroundings and, uh, and understanding emotions. So I was doing a measurement of facial recognition uh, in order to detect emotions and then asking back, it looks like this person is sad. What do you think about that? You know, and that uh, shape of the unicorn horn was actually because the RealSense camera fitted in there. Then I started to notice that especially, yeah, the kids that I was working with are really sensitive on the head area. So they don't really want to wear things. So uh, other concepts came about like wearing blankets and soft things, anything soft, anything toy-like sort of was much better for that but in there was also this notion of ADHD which is also part of the spectrum almost you know Mm -hmm. and then I noticed that the kids with ADHD were really interested in this notion you know and it turned into an uh, yeah the project that I originally had it intended for actually to work with uh, children with ADHD and I was doing research to how could I solve this like still working with the uh, the camera on the head and solve this a different way and um, I got to work with GTech and neuroscientist departments and we figured out that if you are using like certain sensors on the head it's called p3 wave you could sort of monitor the uh, fluctuations in focus which i thought was really interesting and uh, normally you are using the 1020 system it's 64 electrodes on the head which is like a really net really a lot of electrodes on the head which i didn't want to use because the children it's not really a comfortable situation Mm -hmm. sort of you know so we basically limited it to eight electrodes and made the system work from a medical perspective and yeah then do research to a sort of a case study I like to put a case study like what if these children are uh, going into the zoo for example you know are we able to at the end of the day measure what things they liked like the tiger the elephant ice cream meeting a friend all of that stuff so that was uh, basically the good uh, like use case for that in order to yeah set up on a case study and see if I could solve that sort of using a BCI brain computer interface and also this camera in there so yeah for me it's it's just important to tackle like a problem in especially with uh, children with ADHD uh, there's a lot of like things happening around them and that's what they get triggered by that's where they react to and making them understand that everything and, and anything around them has an effect on them from the sort of the brain side is really important because and once they have that awareness they can also like calm themselves down and like mm-hmm. working with children then opens up that they were really really interested in the notion of like learning about their own brain and about brain signals sort of you know really? so for me that was a really interesting products in otherwise than just creating a dress throwing it on a model to actually like work with this notion of yeah working with the wearer on a deeper level and especially with children for example you know so I think that was like for me like so different than like yeah developing dresses that are doing something like uh, really coming into the core of, of uh, yeah working with brain signals and especially uh, creating almost a sort of a, a therapeutical um, yeah session or something mm-hmm. with it. Sure. And I'm very curious about, you know, these case studies that came out of your work with the project or Agent Unicorn project. Did you find that after these kids kind of understood, you know, what grabs their attention, what doesn't and learned more about their brain that they were 
did they, I don't know if they were treated with medication or if you could kind of cut the medication out of the treatment if they're on Adderall or, you know, Ritalin or something like that. Cause that is like, you know, the knee jerk reaction of Americans is mm-hmm. if you have something like you medicate, like you just go for it. <laughs> and so I'm curious, like, were you able to cut any of that out? No, because I'm not in the position that I can do those things without like a research uh, or in hospital or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, what I could do was uh, like giving it a lot of attention in the media that uh, you might not always want to give your child medication because that's one of the problems with ADHD. What you say too soon, mm-hmm. too quickly, and a bunch of medication that's changing the behavior of a child in an early stage while growing up, which is pretty crazy to me, sort of, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of like movements that are doing more with awareness, with mindfulness and all of that stuff. And I think that is much more generous and a much more pure to nature way kind of to approach things, you know, instead of immediately going with like medication. And I think that definitely pushed some buttons. A lot of like research institutes were like interested in this list, this, these kinds of things. And uh, this kind of notion of working in a different way using a, a brain computer interface instead of medication, sort of which I am a little bit like against because I think the pharmaceutical industry is <laughs> like pretty yeah. you can pretty dominant you know mm-hmm. but what basically this this product was around what other things can we invent or what uh, other things can we inspire to create other than using medication like in the, in the first stance sort of you know so i think that's why this product is pretty like yeah valuable for me because it gives opportunity to think different about current methods um, how we are treating things like adhd in children at the moment sort of Mm-hmm, definitely. And has the Agent Unicorn project inspired you to walk the route of maybe less doing less dresses and less interactive dresses on model and maybe working more with children or people with disabilities and helping them figure out fashion tech that could work for their needs? Uh, definitely. Then, but I do have a lot of clients that that <laughs> that are interested in the fashion part as well. So it's uh, I'm always looking for that dream project, like almost ancient unicorn, like a bit of funding, and you get the time to research and develop something like this. And a, developing a product is, is pretty hard. Developing a dress as well, but I've, I've made many of them. But I mostly get my clients are, hey Anouk, we need you. We need it to be finished in two weeks. <laughs> So it's like yeah. um, like projects like this does need a, a few months to develop instead of like yeah, mm-hmm. two weeks sort of, you know. It's great to have like uh, things like 3D printing and things that you can shoot off pretty early. I have a lot of like collaborators uh, around me that if there's a big project that I have the fortune to like working together with, collaborating with. Mm-hmm. But definitely most of my uh, projects are on a uh, pretty quick way. So you get a project in and it's like, okay, you go in, in full speed to develop it and, and to do that. Um, I never catch uh, dream projects like, hey, Anouk, we give you a bunch of money and half a year and so you can uh, just make a new device sort of. I, I wish I had more of those. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. Well, if there's any listeners out there that have, you know, half a million, I want to give you a couple of months. <laughs> it's always, uh, yeah, it's always, uh, I do say that, the, yeah, the money, the there's the, the three, uh, the triangle of the, the things. Yeah. It's n- mm-hmm. never... Yeah, the money. It's like money, passion, and experience. I think as yeah. that explains yeah. me. Yeah, I actually did a presentation about that at Type. So, oh nice. Oh. Yeah, I learned it from like <laughs> a, a a band roadie. He was like a drum tech for like some like Sonic Youth and like David Bowie and really interesting bands. And he has like a wealth of knowledge in him. And so it's like really interesting because I've only heard other creatives like yourself and, and my friend that was the roadie talk about this triangle. Where were you first introduced in it? Almost been like, oh, that is what it is, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, I, I think like, yeah, I, I guess as a developer, as an engineer, as an artist, you always need like, yeah, more, more of, more of something. And it's never the ideal standard, which is fine because you roll with it, sort of. But uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> exactly. So I have a quick question on how did you got interested in 3D printing? And so I read that when you were starting out, you were really working a lot with your hands. You were sculpting a lot with epoxy resins, glues, and different types of clays, but you got sick in 2008 from these materials. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you kind of found your way into 3D printing and Maya and digital sculpting. Was this the catalyst that brought you into AM or were you, was 3D printing always on your radar? The first time that I used uh, 3D printing was like 2000, I must say 2006 with an artist called uh, Jane Tingley. And we were doing a project uh, together. Maybe it was a little bit later. Maybe it was like 2000. It was 2007. I don't know exactly the time. And mm-hmm. again, and um, I was doing like sculpting before. She teach me a lot of uh, cool things in regards to that. But A and B components, uh, epoxies, airplane epoxies and all of that stuff. So I made uh, things to basically hold my electronics in place and all of that stuff in Södermars, mm-hmm. for example. And she came with, was working for the university and she said like, oh, let's 3D model this and let's see. We have a new 3D printer and I want to explore this. So we explored this and we made the second version of uh, the Dare Droid. Uh, there's mm-hmm. like three versions and it has now an a 3D printed front piece so that was the first time that I got introduced to it and uh, yeah what I said uh, always when you're making stuff I always wear um, I think I would lay behind me a respirator (laughs) Yep. But there's also always stuff and, and epoxy dust or you do something and you're like, oh, I forgot it. Oh, a little thing and the detailing sort of, you know. And mm-hmm. I think for over the years, many years, I got just a lot of that epoxy dust in my uh, in my lungs. So I got slightly asthmatic because of that. And the doctor said like, oh, maybe it's good to like really protect yourself better or, you know, and I was like, I, I protect myself pretty well. But um, so at the same time, I got that notification from the doctor that uh, my lungs might uh, go down sort of. Oh, wow. Um, I, um, I met uh, somebody called uh, Ryan from the Mass, who took me to Materialize, which is a big company, 3D printing company in uh, Belgium. Mm-hmm. I would say they did 3D printing before it became cool. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> uh, they did yeah. a lot of medical industry and all. And I also met a friend of mine, a really good friend, Nicolo Casas, who is an Italian architect. And he said like, oh, I love your stuff if you ever want to collaborate. And I was like, well, <laughs> I cannot work with uh, my, <laughs> my current medium. Mm-hmm. I also met with Materialize. I told Nicolo and I said like, do you want to do a project? So we actually worked on the 2D printed version of the, uh, the smoke dress together in Maya and that was my first introduction that uh, Nicola was working with Maya already as an architect so uh, which is a pretty steep uh, program to to get into if anybody's interested in like 3D printing I would suggest first going into like other things like Fusion 360 or open source program like Blender mm-hmm. or something. But uh, yeah, that was my first time. I think for me, the cool thing was I was always busy with sculpting the right side and then the, the left side exactly the same. And it was never exactly the same. And now it was just like with a flat flip, you, yeah. you just have the two sides and I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> yeah. For me, like, yeah, the magic. I was like, oh my God, that tedious thing because your your left side might be like really perfect. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of funny. You need to solve things with casting and all of the stuff, the negatives. Yeah, so for me, that was really cool. And then also, yeah, going more in architectural detail and geometries uh, with uh, 3D printing. And especially we had the opportunity to use Materialize, which just had their SLS printer in TPU, thermoplastic polyurethane. So there was definitely like cutting edge more stuff that, that I could work with that I had the privilege to work with at that time, sort of. So yeah, that's that's really got me in 3D printing and all of that stuff, all those uh, those factors. That is really really interesting. So you were one of the first people then to be working, I think, in like 3D printing, like with with materialized explicitly and doing something that's more like a creative, like fashion couture kind of thing. Is that correct then? 
Uh, definitely combining, I think, robotics with engineering and 3D printing, like, and the body that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was not really done, especially, I think, Yannick Kitanen was one of the first ones that really worked with the body with making, like, a netting structure and, like, a weak mm-hmm. open structures, I think. But uh, it was definitely also building, like, engineering components and robotics in there using 3D printing. That was pretty new because people were either building robots or building cars or mm-hmm. with 3D printing or medical things or space, aerospace uh, um, engineering and all of that stuff so yeah that was definitely uh it was fun <laughs> <laughs> well that's really un- really really awesome and i think my last question because we're just about at time is mm-hmm. you know you throughout your story that you've been talking about maybe not as explicitly but you've basically been seeing the future of technology and fashion you know your fashion school politely asked you to move to a different program because, you know, fashion technology just didn't go together back in those days. But, Mm -hmm. you know, as we're kind of introducing ourselves to like, you know, this new world where we're having Arduinos, where kids are growing up with 3D printers in their schools, do you still see the future as being, you know, this combination between art and technology? Or do you think it can still exist as, you know, separate disciplines? Yeah, it's hard. I think it's like you really need to be like having hybrid thinking, multidisciplinary and all of that stuff. And I think a lot of yeah people find their way into STEAM, STEM uh, through, through those uh, notions, which is really important. I think especially for the hands-on approach to work with that stuff. Yeah, it's it will only get more and more important from topics like uh, yeah AI and ML and uh, like yeah additive manufacturing and even in gaming, you know, uh, like you need to stay on top of that, especially from an yeah education how you educate your people as being a country you know so I think like, yeah, for example, STEM and STEAM, I know that a lot of countries, even the Netherlands, you know, they have a hard time to just sell that and to make that important. Like this is really important. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. And countries are still like, why do we need this? And I don't really understand that, but it's my life. It's my blood, you know? So I think like, yeah, it's definitely important to yeah think in hybrid uh, jobs, but you also need to uh, think that you have almost, you become sometimes a generalist in things. And you also need to have people that are still also working really specifically in things, rocket engineering in like all of that stuff. You can have a hobby next to that, but it's, it basically takes up all of your life, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, definitely from the art and the art school perspectives, I think like the mixed uh, media and these things will really seep more and more into that um, as we progress to live our lives and, and also software like I mean software gets better and better things that you needed to design like 10 years ago you can now algorithmically design or generatively design sort of you mm-hmm. know so the software is also like working with us so the more yeah the software helps out the new generation to be less expensive <laughs> and more available mm-hmm. yeah but it's also really cool because otherwise only privileged people have access to things like Maya and that's not what you want for example in the end you know so also think of yeah people and countries that might not be so uh, prosper in, in the ways that they can create stuff and make stuff oh awesome well Thank you so much for your time today, Anouk. I, I could talk to you probably for like three or four more hours. Like you're <laughs> yes. such an interesting person. That, but, you know, I'm so glad we had this time today. Is there anything else you'd like to speak on or? Uh, no, if anybody wants to get into this field, like drop me a line where they can find certain electronics or like start with like any kind of software or something. So if you're interested in any of uh, the things that we've been talking about, always feel free to like uh, drop me a line over my website or social media. If you have a question on what servo motor should I use or what computer board should I start with or whatever, you know, so feel free to uh, reach out to me. All right. Well, I will definitely keep that in mind in case I'm doing any servo yeah. engineering and fashion <laughs> yeah. tech projects for sure. 
Well, thank you so much, Anouk, for your time. I really do appreciate it. And thank you to all of our listeners that are tuning in to the All Digital Ad of Manufacturing podcast. It was a pleasure having you all here, and I look forward to seeing you all again. Thank you for listening to the All Digital Additive Manufacturing Podcast. If you would like to help support and build our community, take action and press follow, subscribe, comment below, or please leave a review. And don't forget to share. Thanks for continuing the conversation. This is Adam Penner signing off. See you soon.